0: Well, I invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. We're continuing. Um, we started last week our study in the book of Joshua, and now we come to the second part of chapter 1. It's found on page 210 in the Bibles that are in front of you. And this is um, a wonderful section. Next time we look at Rahab and the spies. But for now, we're looking at verses 10 to 18 of Joshua chapter 1 in our study of Joshua. This is um, the word of the Lord. Let's give our attention to it. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses said, Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And there will end the reading of God's word. Well, one of the important things that we are seeing in Joshua as we open the book and as we've looked at themes last time to look at the main theme of the book and what this is all about is that the Lord was renewing Israel in the covenant that he made. And giving them his promise rest. There's something exciting about this book. There's something uh, fresh about this book. It's It's a sense of a new beginning. It's a sense of something brand new that's happened in Israel among the people of God. And the mourning for Moses, the days of mourning are over. Notice that. God had said, Moses has died. 30 days of mourning had happened. Was a great grief to the children of Israel, this great leader that was among them. But the days of mourning had ended and they needed to go forward. Before them is the promised land and all that God said that he would give his people. What an exciting moment for Israel. I mean, really, what a, from the gloom of the, the beginning of this, to all of a sudden, the, the, of, of the last chapter of, of Deuteronomy, to this breaking out of, of, of Joshua among them and the great works that the Lord was doing among them, this was a brand new, renewing moment for Israel. A fresh generation of young people, by the way, which is what we're all concerned about in the church today. A fresh generation, a new generation of young people are heading into the land, God has made known to them that they have heard his promise. And listen to me, there is finally a real energy to receive it. There is finally a real energy to receive it. I think this section requires of us to spend a little bit of time contrasting what the previous generation, what had happened, with the goal that we would recognize the Lord's work among us, And that we what we face in that work. Because when the Lord is doing a work, what we're going to see in comparison here is that we really have two choices in, in light of what he's doing. One is to go nowhere. Or the other is to go forward. And I think this passage, believe this passage, has a crucial call for the church today to recognize the Lord's work among us. And to move forward in his promise. His promise is one of giving us rest. It's a call for the church to cross over. It's a call for the church to inherit the land. That just as us, just as for them, it is just as important for us what you just heard right here in this passage. And that's my goal to try to help you with today um, as a pastor That's why we have pastors who labor all week in this, is to try to show you these connections. So my question before we begin here is really, what begins to happen when there are times of renewal? And if I can rightly use the word revival among the people of God, what does that look like? What do you expect to see? How do we know it? What does it mean to return to the Lord with one's whole heart? In contrast, what does it look like when there's no movement in the church? What does it look like when there is a time of serious chastisement on the people of God for the games they've played with the Lord? You remember the scene. Moses has died. Joshua has now been commissioned. We looked at how Joshua's leadership, um, they were given fresh and new promises last time. Um, No one will be able to withstand you. I mean, what a promise from the Lord. There is nobody who will withstand you. Why? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Go forward for the Lord is with you wheresoever you go. I mean, those promises in the first part of Joshua are absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. And we looked at how, um, under Joshua's leadership, they were given these promises and were called to be of good strength and courage, strong and courageous, he says. For I'm giving you this land. I will drive them out. It's a gift to you. This land, eternal life, inheritance, promised land. Don't be dismayed or afraid. For the Lord your God is with you. So what God was doing in this first chapter was revitalizing his people and his promise. That was the, And whenever you see something happening in the church of God, the first thing that you're going to see is the people again listening to the promise and being taken by the promise. And that's what we see here. The promises are really being received and believed. And now, as we have Joshua commissioned and the promises rehearsed and given... Now God gives the command for them to cross over. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now remember last time, this is all a type of the eternal inheritance. That's exactly what Hebrews 3 did with this. When they said, Joshua didn't give that rest. Jesus gives that rest. This land is a type of the eternal inheritance that you're receiving. But what I love to notice up front here is that we see God on the move, if you will. In other words, the time had come for God to fulfill his word. And that after a long time of struggle. We should study um, moments like this carefully in Scripture. We should really take moments and, 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 and really mind this and think about this for what it's worth. When we often see, What we often see is that when God gives a command and the people didn't listen, nothing moved forward. And that was the entire generation that preceded this one it's important that we ask the question what happened to those people who are people of the covenant raised in the covenant well that's where we are with this generation We have a sort of repeat in chapter 2 where spies are sent out into the land of Canaan and that's the whole Rahab event and they go. But that had already happened before where the command, remember, in Deuteronomy and remember what happened the first time. And Caleb said, let's go, take possession for we're able to overcome it. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of that generation that crossed over. But they said, The cities are too big. They're too strong. The Amalekites are there, whom Joshua had already beat, by the way. There are giants. The descendants of Anak were like grasshoppers. So what did they do? The whole disposition of the people was fear and cowardice. Fear and cowardice. After God had spoken his word, you know, and and think about this today. There's really kind of two responses today. God's going to speak wonderful things. The end of this was be strong and courageous. Um, God speaks his word effectively. All you have to do is harden your heart to do nothing. Simple to do. What happened to that previous generation? They didn't listen to what God was saying. For what reason? Hebrews says unbelief. Remember, we looked at that. Hebrews 4, 3 and 4. But how did that show itself? And I was thinking about that a lot this week. And then, of course, I always like to read. I always like to read Calvin because I think he's so insightful. And listen to what he says. Having obtained what they deemed a large enough space for their habitation, the land. They turn backwards to indulge in sloth and cowardice. And he says, this one crime of sloth with regard to the promise of God brought all kinds of crimes among them. Sloth. What happened to the previous generation? Sloth. No movement. No movement forward. Why did the promise take so long to fulfill? The state of the people. In fact, remember Numbers 13. They said, when things were hard in wilderness life, ah, if only we could go back to Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. They didn't embrace the promise by faith. And the result was sloth. Fear, cowardice, and sloth. But here's what strikes me. As we see God coming to them with Joshua, who is a type of Jesus, what we see in the people is a fresh energy of desiring the promise. A fresh energy of desiring the land, desiring the inheritance. Fear seems to be removed. Removed. And in boldness, they're taking hold of the promise as you see it in the next generation. That's fascinating. What Joshua is showing us is a people embracing the promise and being renewed in the covenant. That's kind of the the main point I'm trying to, to, to drive home today. And after Israel crosses the Jordan, I want you to think about what we see as this gets all set up in Joshua, just to kind of give you a little bit of a preview. What we see, the first things that are happened are memorial stones are set up. Why were memorial stones set up? Because it's as if the entire generation had forgotten that the Lord had already dried up a sea and delivered them out of Egypt. And God wanted that remembered. But then there was this giant renewal ceremony. And lo and behold, guess what we find out in chapter 5? The entire generation of youngsters, those, um, remember, 40 years and over, 20 years, for 40 years, 20 years and over didn't inherit and um, I think I'm getting that right. I'm going off the top of my head. If I get that wrong, correct me. I can't remember the exact age. I think it's 20. This generation, none of them had received the sign of the covenant. Whoa. Whoa. In other words, that previous generation was not believing the promises, and guess where it showed up? the first thing where it was evident was in their children out went the covenant sign and the first thing God says is it's time again to circumcise the children of Israel that means those children had not received the covenant sign this was a serious deal I would suggest that a real sign of the spiritual state of the people is witnessed in their disregard of God's promises to them and to their children. The Lord wants the heart of you and your children. (laughs) They were full of sloth in his kingdom. And guess what was the casualty? Their children. And I would say whenever you are seeing a people going nowhere... What was, who are absolutely spiritually apathetic to the promises of God and what God is doing, it's seen, and think about the covenant sign being replaced by baptism in the new covenant, it's seen in the total disregard of the sign. No one really believes it's of any importance. We have to reckon with this. God commanded, the, when He's doing a work, the first thing that happened was the covenant of grace was being taken really seriously. And because it says in Joshua 5, they did not obey with regard to the sign, the voice of the Lord. And this is where I think I stopped and thought, you know, I realize why Paul had major concerns for the church. What do we see in the church? Well, Howell Jones told me years ago to read a book on revival and, and, um, And again, not revivalism, but he gave me a a book and told me to read this book. And one of the things I was taken by is how this writer described that whenever you see the Spirit moving to fulfill His word among a people, you see a deep desire of receiving the promise again and a re energized people in prayer and repentance and commitment with regard to them and their children. What's our present struggle? Let's just be honest. What's our present struggle in the church? People can barely get to worship today. I'm thankful for a church full of people who care about that. But I'm looking in a kind of a broad stroke here. It's a challenge. And is our heart in it? Or truth be told, do we have people who do not deeply desire to embrace what God is doing because there's a lot of sloth going on? That's a fair question, isn't it? Commitment. If God looked at our involvement in his church and kingdom, could this be said of us, that what he sees is sloth and cowardice? That we give a bare minimum to hear his word? And and what is the known burden of the church today? Our children, across every denominational line in this country, we're all moaning, they're leaving the church. Have we talked about the Lord in our homes, rising in the morning and going before bed? Have we sat at the table with them? Have we cowered before them in our commitment to Christ? I'm asking a probing question. Me, you, us, everyone, where are we? We're at the border of the land. (laughs) You're looking over the land, imagine this. And not going anywhere? Or are we going? Meaning, are we standing in our age and looking at all the problems that are before us? There's so many problems. (laughs) The world is bad. Culture's rotten. The problems are overwhelming. Christendom's dying. We can't do this. Is that the spirit of the people today? It was that spirit that led Israel into false worship and idolatry. That was the golden calf event right there. Is that where the church is today? I mean, we've got to challenge us on this point. Is the church in the same place as Israel? Looking at all the problems of the world, are the enemies attacking all the movements? Are we discouraged Yes, a daunting task is before us. We have to advance the gospel in a culture that's never been in our lifetimes this hostile to us. Are we in the same place? Listen to the promise today. All this is yours. (laughs) What do you mean? Yeah, the earth is yours. The wicked don't get it. They get the eternal lake of fire. This is yours. New heavens and new earth where righteousness shall dwell. God is giving it to you as a gift. You're at the end of the age. Remember what Joshua said, or the the point of the book of Joshua is capturing the struggle of the church to inherit the land at the end of the age. Where are we? What does our commitment say? But what I want us you to see here in encouragement is that the Spirit of God had renewed the people. And what do we see when that renewal comes? Well, what you see is the first thing, a great hearing of the word again. The alternative was to sit by the Jordan and complain about the woeful state of things. <laughs> what do we see when God renews his people? He provides provisions. But what do they look like? Where do we see renewal and what does that look like and how does that show? Notice his care here, which is amazing. How were they to go forward? No weapons. A nation untrained in war facing the mightiest warriors of the day. He knew they couldn't do it. Notice the entirely new spirit in the people. People are given food and provisions in this first section. God ensures that. He's caring for them. He'd always done that. And notice verse 12. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, saying, The Lord your God is... Providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over arm before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now this is an interesting interjection here. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had their portion on the east side of the Jordan for their flocks. These were really strong farmers. But in Deuteronomy 32, an agreement was made with Moses that they would join the conquest and settle Israel in the western portion of the land. So they would have to leave their homes and their families and go out and fight the battle. So Joshua says it's time to own your promise and fulfill it, your duty. What do we see? Sloth and cowardice? The mighty men stepped forward. So Moses said to them, if you will do this, this is Deuteronomy 32, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he's driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. What do we see now? All of a sudden, when renewal comes, a great spirit of leadership arises in the people. The leadership is revived. The mighty men step up to the calling God has given them to fight for the little ones, to fight for the weak, to fight for the vulnerable. To defend them. And to lead the way in inheriting the land. Accompany with God's promise. I will be with you. Neglect on their part would greatly harm the rest of the flock. And what is God showing us? A few things so far. When God is revitalizing his church, his word comes. The promises are heard afresh. And they hear what God is desiring to do and will do and will accomplish and will give by grace. I'm going to give you your rest. But apathy and sloth keeps the church stagnant. When in the face of the promises of God. It's not a coincidence we're thinking about and laboring to think about men who will lead in this church as elders and deacons. This is always a challenging time. Might I just say if you get the letter, I want you to think about this passage. The church does not advance apart from godly men in his kingdom stepping up to lead the flock. That's an evidence of his grace among us. An evidence of a church not moving? You can't get anyone to serve. I mean, men, yes, and this is a big discussion in our day, and I don't tie this to what the culture defines as a man. It's being bold and courageous with God's word and leading in his kingdom in conviction and shepherding the church of God in the church and in the home and stepping up to the duty. So let me, let me summarize here so far. God is publishing his promise. He's raising up. He raised up Joshua, who's a type of Christ. He's the one leading them in the land. He's reaffirming his commitment to his covenant, calling them to receive the sign of the covenant of grace, renewing them in the promise. And don't miss what comes with this. Strong and courageous leaders who will love God's word, believe the word, and are willing to count loss and all for Christ, for his kingdom. Going on the bare promise of God. Believing that promise. Trusting that promise. Deuteronomy 3. Charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of his, this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. This is what God desires to do for us, beloved. I mean, that's, that's the marvel of this. Who's fighting here? God knows they can't win the conquest on their own. But the Lord has said, no one will stand against you. I'm with you. When all the nations hear about Israel in these next chapters, do you know what happened? When these these people stood up and led, all the nations melted like wax in fear. Do you know why? Why? Because the church that was being bold and courageous was evident to the world that God was with them. A church that's cowardly and sloth and into all the worldly practices of the world with regard to worship and practice is a cowardly church. I too often think that we say, everything's by grace. Amen, we should. All by grace. And that means, take the lazy boy in response in the kingdom. Israel tried that. And how many wayward sheep came after that? The way God works deliverance by grace is through a people deeply devoted to his covenant. I think the whole beginning section demonstrates this. The leaders lead. They defend the flock, they shepherd the young, they protect the vulnerable. They go in the strength of the Lord. That's boldness. That's being courageous. And notice how fascinating the section ends. They make a solemn promise to God to cross over. And a love for the Lord's will. When we see the blessing of the Lord crowning his church and his people, we see a responding people. I think that's the really important point today. We see a responding people. A people, as Psalm 110 says, are willing servants in the day of his power. This is what Christ was saying when he was calling the leadership to follow him and all people to follow him. Who is leading the charge today? Yeshua. <laughs> he's the one who's already crossed over. He's the one who has defeated sin and death, and he's gone ahead of us as the captain of our salvation. You're more than conquerors through his blood. There's no one. What, what can man do to you? There's no, you know, it's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? I think the important challenge to the church in this passage is, what direction are we going? We have a beautiful building. We've forgotten what a blessing God's done among us. We have many resources. But more than all that, (laughs) the promise of God is set before us. I will be with you wherever you go. Rise up, O church. Rise up, O people. Serve your king with gladness. Take away the dim faces. The battle is yours. That's a big claim in light of all we're facing. Do we believe it? That the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. See, that's what I said in the reading of the law. You have to believe God's on your side and that he's forgiven you and that he loves you through his son. Until then, sloth and cowardice will characterize life. Are we greatly interested in what the king is doing to give us the land? Are we living by faith in the gospel? Are we seeing who is leading us and who we're identified with? I guess I wrote this thinking what the world needs most right now is to see a church bold and courageous in God's word. A church who's willing to suffer scorn and ridicule for the gospel. The alternative is to sit around and watch our children run away from the faith and go nowhere in the purposes that he's had for us. I'm kind of tired of that. That's the American way. But I think the broader message here is God is claiming our children. That's what he did. He claimed them because they didn't. And he put his sign on them. And when God is doing a new thing, he's going to wake up a generation out of sleep to see the blessings of what it means to be a covenant child of God who gave his only begotten Son to lead us in the way everlasting and a people who love fidelity to his covenant and thankfulness. We should follow, we should believe his bare promises. We should go forward with the sword of the Spirit and the armor of God. With leaders who will give themselves to shepherd the weak sheep. Who are willing to sacrifice their lives for eternal salvation. And of a people who take seriously what it means to love and follow Christ and to love His commandments. After all, that's how people will know by your love for one another and love for His word that you belong to Him. When this happens, you will see The kind of revitalization you so desperately want to see in you and your children that we've looked for everywhere else. Be strong, says the Lord. Be of good courage, for the Lord your God, Yeshua, is with you wherever you go. And that's the message the church needs most today, I think. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your wonderful promise to us, your gracious promise. And thank you for, Lord, being faithful to fulfill what you said you would do. May we not be a people who sit idly and slothfully in light of all your work. May we be a people who advance in the truth, who love your church and your kingdom, who love your sheep, who shepherd the weary, who care for the broken, who want to see, O Lord, a new generation rise up that embraces the promises and does not waffle like previous generations. And yet we've seen throughout history your great working in generations who strongly embrace the promises and believe. So build your church up strong again, we pray. Raise up a new generation that is, Lord, who loves you, and raise up leaders who shepherd well the church of God and bless us all on the way knowing your purposes for us are good. Your purposes for us are to give us eternal life as a gift. Thank you, O Lord, for your word that helps us and gives us strength and courage in the fight. In Jesus' name, amen.